0: I went to a bar because it was kind of legendary. It might have been John Stockton's father,
1: Jack and Dan's.
0: Is that that's it? I was there. Yeah, yeah. I went to that. I okay. went to that because they said, you know, if you're in town, you got to go to this. So I went to it, and, and I can't. I'm trying to remember. I must have done a game there. That's all I can mm-hmm. remember. But it's been so long ago. And Kelly Graves, I knew very well. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot, I was. She had a great senior year and I was all set. I was going to draft a point guard that year, but I was down in the draft and she played herself to back. it. She might have been the first pick of the draft. And, and and to be honest with you, I was hoping she wasn't playing so well so that she could have fell <laughs> and I could have taken her.
1: Welcome back. This is Offstage, episode 27. We're on 27. Thank you guys for coming back. I'm your host, Krish Schnabel. I know it's been a while. We have been gone for, for quite some time, but we are officially back. We're officially going to be releasing, and we are now on episode 27, so we're building again. We're getting back up there. Uh, thank you guys for staying tuned in, for staying around. I mean, we've been trying at Offstage, we've been trying to release some other content as people that know about the documentary series. Like, no, this is from a documentary series, I should say. Um, we've been re-releasing with commentary over the documentary, talking about like what we, uh, kind of talking about like what, you know, diff- different behind the scenes stuff. Um, Offstage started now seven, eight years ago. So just kind of going back into the memory banks to talk about some stuff. And I personally I'm commentating on it. Uh, we're gonna have some other guests too, like some people that worked on it, maybe some people that were starting it. We're not sure yet. But um the first two episodes were recorded by me. And I haven't watched these since they released in, in um most of them in festivals. That's the last time I watched any of these. And I mean, obviously I know I know am like the back of my hand because I was record or I edited them for months, but um, now watching. like I just did, uh, we just released Damon St. Clouds and it's the first time I watched it since 2016. So it's been a, quite a, quite a while since I've seen offstage Damon St. Cloud. Um, so that's out there now that's out there. You can go watch it. Um, I'm commentating on it and tell me what you think. I'm just, we're just trying to push content. So we're not just keeping it stagnant for a long time. It's been a while. Corey Kispert episode 26 was August 15th of 2021. So it's been quite a while since we've had anything, but we are back. We are back today. We have a guest finally. We're back. And this is going to try to be about every two weeks. Um, I know we were doing weekly at first and then monthly. We're going to try to do every two weeks, but it's going to be a little all over the place with releasing just because scheduling is has been very tough overall. But we do have a guest today. Uh, He is a former WNBA head coach. He coached the most recently the Seattle Storm to two uh, WNBA championships 2018-2020. He also coached in San Antonio and he coached in Cleveland. He is currently the assistant coach of USA Women's Basketball. He also broadcasts He has coached in for 40 plus years in countless levels, high school, college, professionally, internationally, uh, obviously with the the USA basketball internationally, I should say, Um, just a basketball junkie. Um, So we are pleased, pleased to introduce our guest today, Dan Hughes. All right, so I'll say again, thank you for joining me. I said it off air. I got to say it on air so everybody knows it actually happened. Uh, so they're not like, oh, he's, he's lying about that. Nope, I, I said it both times there. So uh, you started your career in college um, after, getting, after getting your postgraduate degree, or well, during getting your postgraduate degree, and you started in men's basketball. So how did you eventually make your way over to the women's side of basketball? What happened to make that switch?
0: Well, I actually started as a high school coach and spent four years as a high school coach and then moved into Division Three women, uh, excuse me, men, and coached at two, two Ohio colleges there and then went to Division I men. Uh, so I was in men almost 20 years and um, there was a coaching change. We, we had been at Toledo, University of Toledo for five years on the men's side and I had evolved from a restricted earnings position to a full assistant and uh, but the coach I was working for uh, when went on to be an administrator an athletic administrator uh, athletic director so there was a coaching change and one of the assistants on the women's side walked down to my office and said hey uh, I'm leaving to go to Iowa State why don't you think about coaching on the women's side, um, taking my spot. And uh, I don't know, it felt right. I, I, uh, my wife and I, my wife was pregnant with our son, Bryce. And just a lot of factors played into that. And that's what led me into uh, coaching. I only coached there one year, then went into the WNBA as an assistant. I, I think it was a desire for me to be a head coach. I had been a head high school coach and then had been an assistant for oh no, 16 years almost, 15, 16 years. And I, I don't know, I, it felt to me like maybe the WNBA would offer me an opportunity to evolve into a head coach. And that's what really happened in about a year, little over a year, I was a head coach.
1: Was that a tough decision, though, because, you know, getting into basketball, I'm sure the first thought was men's basketball. But then you yeah. had this opportunity. Was it tough to really think about, like, do I want to make this switch? Do I want to be the person going over to the women's side?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and some of it was honestly ignorance on my part. There, there were points in my career where people would come to me and say, well, what do you think about, uh, about this opportunity? And it was on the women's side. And uh, I, you know, was kind of had narrow vision. It was like, nope, I want to be a head men's college coach. That's, that's what I've designed my career to be, you know. And sometimes life takes you on a journey where if you're just paying attention, you know, you don't have to be that narrow. There's some great opportunities out here. Uh, and finally, somehow it just felt right at that moment. I think, I think I just knew this was the right fit at that moment. And so, um, and, and oddly enough, I was offered, you know, Division I assistant position. I I, I I could have gone to Val, Valparaiso and been part of the Bryce Drew story. Um, they're friends of the family and what have you, but uh, it felt right. And so once I made that decision and I went onto that road, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, coming from, like we talked about earlier, Gonzaga being such a big men's basketball school. It's a big basketball school overall, but it's really known for the men's program. But I tell people all the time, like broaden your horizons. You know, you might, you might be like, I only want to work in men's basketball. That's why I came to Gonzaga, but you don't understand the opportunity that's around it. You know, whether it's women's basketball or, or baseball or tennis or soccer, there's always, there's always an opportunity and you never know what you're going to fall in love with. I had that similar experience. I worked the U S open last year. I never did anything tennis. I knew, you know, I knew Nadal, I knew Federer, but I didn't know anything about And Serena Williams, I didn't know anything about tennis. I worked it. And it's like one of my favorite sports now. So you never know what you're going to run into. So it's, it's very hard to get people to broaden their horizons. People are very stubborn, but once they do it, they're like, then it's just preach it to everybody. You know, like, yes, that's what you have to do. You have to broaden, you have to go out there.
0: Well, I, I, I do a lot of
1: speaking, especially now. Um, and, and a
0: lot of it's about culture and motivation and things like that to a degree. And the thing I tell people, and I wish I would have been a student of my own words because I wasn't for a long time, was you just got to pay attention to to the road you're on. And, and I was always good about, you know, I, I never tried to be somebody else. I was pretty good about that. I kind of you know, had, had enough security about what I was doing, but what I didn't do was pay enough attention to the signs that were going on around us. And your point's well taken. All of us, all of us can learn, uh, whether we're in, in sports or whether we're just in life, we can learn by some of the events that's happening around us if we'll just pay attention to it and have a broad enough look so that we're we're aware, you know,
1: yeah. So you said that you didn't, You weren't really a student, your own words, but when did it finally click then? Like, was it, was there a certain moment that you are like, no, this is actually something I can do or was it just deep thinking and finally realizing?
0: Well, some of it be- be became a little bit of my faith journey. Um, I I was a very driven personality as a younger coach. Um, I, you know, I, wanted to accomplish these things. I wanted to be these things. And so, so many times I don't think I did a great job of just being in the moment of where I was. I was always wanting that next thing. And I was a very driven personality. And I think, you know, one night um, I just had a a moment where and I, I think God spoke to me and said, hey, you know, uh, let me take care of this. You just be the best version of you. I mean, it, 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 overwhelmed me that night. And slowly that came about in my life in other ways after that moment, after I stopped trying to strip my life and, and honestly live my life. Uh, that was the big moment. Then you get some breaks, you know, mm-hmm. um, You get people that hire you, you get people that that give you an opportunity. And and everybody kind of looks and at my life at at the end of it, what they don't realize was there was a lot of no's at the beginning. And you get like all of us, you gotta have a persistence to work through the no's, you gotta work through the losses, you gotta work through all those things to really have the moments that everybody kind of centers it on when your career is done but the reality is there's a lot of a lot of non-hits for example you know Um, and and there's a lot of moments where you're denied opportunity but you got to keep going
1: yeah it was it once you fall off the horse you got to get back on and yeah uh, you don't realize I mean that's why I mean I'm a big biography person and you see exactly what you said at the end of your career you see like the accolades you see what you've done you see what you've accomplished but you don't actually understand the full story you just right. get the highlights of it and that's kind of the thing that's why i love biographies and documentaries because you actually get to see what people did and that drives me like i see what people did to get to where they yeah. were and see the hard work that actually got put in when you just see the accolades you think like oh it just kind of like fell into place but it really doesn't it's all the hard work and the determination to keep going and that yeah. actually drives me because i see it in a lot of people that i look up to or that I like to follow and try to follow in their career. So hearing that from you as well, it's like, it just, again, for the thousandth time confirms nothing's given to anybody. You need to actually work towards it.
0: Okay. Now that's, that's it.
1: So let's, let's jump into the WNBA. So you said that you, you kind of made that decision because you're like, if I coach here, I might be able to get a chance to WNBA. And happen about a year later. Because the WNBA started just a couple of years before you jumped in there, right? About a year or two right. before it was like '96, I think it started. Or '97 was the first season. '96 was when it was formed. '97 was the first season, if I'm correct, and right. you came in in '99, right? Right. Well, so
0: in, in keeping with my life, you know, mm-hmm. and again, people don't don't always understand this. Was you know, uh, the year before uh, my father read about my father said to me, hey, I, I, I'm seeing this professional league for women in, in, in the United States. He said, that's something you might want to check out. Now, my dad's not a real basketball guy. He was a business guy. But I think that business thing kicked into him a little bit. So I did. I checked it out. Well, I uh, worked to get an interview and didn't get the job. Did not get it. Okay. And uh, uh, in keeping, the person they hired, they went that year and it didn't work out. So they interviewed me a second time, and I got the job the second time. And that's I, I. Otherwise, I would have been in the WNBA in its first year, but mm-hmm. I wasn't hired. I, I was hired in the second year. And and to your point, uh, people don't understand how many times you get told no. You just you, you, you can't dwell on that. You've got to keep going forward and make where you're at an opportunity for, a, you know, a chance, you know, that, that you might not even see yet.
1: So how did it feel to be a part of the infancy of the WNBA? I mean, you were, like you said, you were a year away, a one higher away from being right in the beginning, but you still were right in the beginning. How to feel to be a part of the infancy? And then to see what it is today. I mean, WNBA is huge now, especially after 2020 in the bubble and everything that happened there. It's just, it's, it's huge now.
0: Well, you start to realize, um, the reality of growth in, in products. You know, I, I was a pretty good student of the NBA and I still am. I, that's one of the places that I spend a lot of my time studying and watching basketball and all those things. Um, if you study the the of the MBA, they went through a lot of similar things that, that the WNBA went through uh, but being a part of it I, I, I really wish people could have some of the memories I have of some of the players that were part of the late 90s and early 2000s and what they brought to uh, our sport you know they really uh, were some very influential people in the stories that now come out about Sue Birds and Brian Stewarts and Jewel Lloyds and people like I coached, uh, Becky Hammonds and all that. You know, those people back at that time laid the groundwork and they really uh, believed in this league when a lot of people, well, I don't know if it'll make it or not, you know. Well, they, they put in just like we talked before, they put in the persistence that was needed, the, you know, the, uh, the the building blocks they put in. And I wish people, and I hope probably someday there'll be a great documentary of a lot of names of people that probably aren't common names now, but quite honestly, they should be, and maybe someday will be.
1: Well, don't, don't sell yourself short. I mean, you just said before in the beginning of this, you were like, you saw this league and you want, you made the whole career change. Cause you're like, this is something I can really, so you believed in it too. You bring up all these people that believed in it, but you, you clearly believed in it as well. And, and for, you were correct because it's really grown and you had a great career there. And it's, it's really, I mean, even five, 10 years ago, looking at the WNBA from then to now, it's, it's really, really grown to, to a, a superpower league at this point, which is great yeah, to see. And-
0: and I think there's lots of reasons for that, you know, to be honest with you, you know, the, the players have gotten better. And I think the the game itself um, has evolved in, in certain ways, certainly from a standpoint of, of uh, I think, fan appreciation and and what have you. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's exciting to me. I love a landscape that Uh, And my son was a little bit ahead of it, but I used to walk into my son's room. My son was a division one basketball player at at, the United States Air Force Academy, but I would walk in his room as a high school young man and he would have NBA people and all that. And he would have WNBA people (laughs) all across his walls. And that to me is a landscape that I, I really love where young men and young women can look at professional men and professional women in in, in, in in an inspiring way. And I think that world's getting closer to that right now.
1: Why do you think basketball holds that? Like, I mean, you see kids. I mean, I had sports posters. I was a big baseball fan, but I had, you know, I had baseball, football. But basketball really seems to be the one where kids connect to the athletes. What do you think that is? Do you think it's because the personalities shine more? Do you think because it's just so like oversaturated now in media where you always see LeBron James, or you always see Sue Berg, Kansas Parker, um, Courtney Vandersloot. I have to bring that up because the Zags, but like, you know, you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you see all these players. Do you think it's just because of the oversaturation of NBA players in media, or do you think it's because the personalities really shine? Do you think it's because they have like, I mean, the TNT NBA is some of the best pre and post game out there.
0: I, I think some of it has to do with the nature of the sport, to be honest with you. You know, you're talking about five players. You're not talking about nine like in baseball. You're not talking about, you know, football, which has offense and defense and what have you. So, and you're talking about where you where you really get a chance not only to uh, hear their stories, and you know, athletes are interviewed so much more now, but you get to see them up close when they play. You know, you feel like they're in your living room. And that was something that I learned when I was in San Antonio with the Spurs. You know, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili. Everybody in when I came to San Antonio uh, felt like they were part of their family. They were in their homes. And my uh, what I wanted to give to the Silver Stars was someone like that, who they could feel like was part of their, and well, that became Becky and That's what she was and and still is in that community. She spent eight years playing for us and me, and then now she's in her eighth year, I think, uh, on the men's side uh, with the Spurs, but Becky transcended that. But there's something really powerful when you feel like it's almost family uh, in a community Uh, especially from a pro standpoint and I saw the best example of that with, with Tim and Tony and Manu
1: and Becky Hammond now I think it was with Las Vegas just signed as their head coach it was the first million dollar head coach in the WNBA so just to just to go back like to how it's grown you know you're seeing all these firsts and it's it's because of somebody like, if you followed WNBA or something like that might have seen seemed like a while but actually it's pretty quick for a league to to grow as fast as WNBA has um because it's only been what 20 a little over 20 something years for for that and usually you see stuff like that like the NBA you didn't really see that until the late 80s early 90s it started back in 60s 70s and then the, the merger and stuff like that same with the NFL didn't really didn't start until like the sixties. You don't really start seeing it until the early nineties, late eighties and stuff. So it's really, again, I'm going to harp on it all day because I love seeing the growth of, of the WNBA and women's sports overall. I really do love to see the growth of it. I, I want to see it on even, even playing field with the men's. I think one of the things, just as I was just saying that you don't see it as much is because of the history behind it. You know, if you talk baseball, it's been around for over a hundred years. You talk NBA, it's been around. I think they're on the, to this year's the 75th anniversary of the NBA. So it's been around a while. So it's, but you see it growing and you see like the WNBA is making its history every day. We're going to look back in 10 years when they're at the, they're skyrocketing up and be like, you know, this happened and this was the first iteration of this. Now players are making XYZ amount and it's just all this stuff coming together. It's just amazing to see.
0: Well, The thing that that on my journey in the WNBA that that I always found was that if I could get people to come to the games in the arena, whether it was females or whether it was males or male coaches or people that were entrenched in men's college or entrenched in, in NBA, whatever, if I got them in the arena, they really enjoyed their experience. Mm-hmm. That was the key to me, and, and, and I had so many people tell me that, you know, and that was was really important to me, to, to get them to a game, to expose them to being in that, and watching these athletes, and watching the play, because there is a beauty, now I, 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 I am a basketball life I love high school. I love college. I love pro. I love men. I love women. I understand I'm I'm maybe different than the normal viewer, but there is a great beauty to the women's game, and I wish uh, people could experience it because to me. the the ability to play with the pass, the ability for team defense, the growth of athleticism within those kinds of needs that, that I think the women's game brings out as you watch. It's a beautiful thing to watch when it's played well. And, you know, that to me is a great selling point along with the stories of these women. But the basketball is fun to watch. I mean, and Sometimes I don't think people, uh, you know, maybe to some people the dunk and everything else is like what it's all about. But there's an awful lot of us who really enjoy the beauty of teamwork and and really enjoy uh, the ability of uh, competitive athletes being creative within a team structure. And and like like I watched the Cavaliers last night. I know they're getting ready to play Spurs and I think I'm going to go to the game. So I watched the Cavs and watching watching the excitement they had with just playing the game so hard. I, Kevin Love just, you can just see, he, he was competing at this elite level, uh, whether he was jumping into the Indiana bench to save a ball or whatever, but the women get to that in some beautiful ways. You know, they really do. And... It is a great brand of basketball to watch, let alone the stories of, of what they do and, and, and stories about their lives. But the story of basketball is also one of the storylines that I really enjoy with women's basketball. I just think it's a great sport, and especially from a team standpoint.
1: Do you think that's why, in, in some ways, it can be difficult to get play, people that enjoy the NBA over to WNBA? Because if you think of the NBA, like you have the Cavs play great team basketball but they're not really they're not talked about but what's talked about are like lebron james who i'm sure he, they play team basketball occasionally but really it's about like him getting iso and and kind of hooping it's not really about getting open by passing or setting screens it's really let's get him open get him to the lane and get a dunk or get a uh, layup or just get to the hoop and whereas in WNBA, as you're saying it's a lot of team basketball but it just doesn't get as publicized as maybe it did, you know, early in the NBA stages or something like that. It's, it's very about the athleticism now. Do you think that's part of the reason it could be difficult to get people over?
0: Well, um, you know, possibly, but I, I like take LeBron, which I mm-hmm. think is a great example. I think LeBron has all the ability, for example, to play in a team and be remarkable you know, now he may need a stage where it's at its highest points. It may be needed to be playoff basketball may need to be a championship series, but he understands the game in some great, great, great ways. And when it really, really matters and resonates, he knows how to function within a team structure in a huge way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that sometimes, uh, People, uh, you, you know, we, we live in a society where, where, where we, we, we want a, a great moment, all great moments. And we don't want to kind of just wait for a, a little bit of the chess match that creates this great moment. We, we just want to get to the highlight. We just want to get to that. But, but we lose some of the real beauty, I think, of, of, of a lot of things, including, including basketball where you have this back and forth or this struggle, and then all of a sudden you have that defining moment. And because you have hung around and enjoyed and watched the competitive nature, it makes that great moment even more great that you, that you kind of know the background into that moment. But that's just me and I'm, I'm a basketball-holic and I, and I love it and I love all kinds and I can appreciate all kinds. And I watch all kinds. I mean, I have five TVs in my basement and, and you, you could have anything from men's, women's combinations to w, WNBA, NBA, uh, whatever, it, 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 they're all over the place. And I, I, I love it all. And, and, and I'm totally fascinated. I just want to see excellence. I kind of want to see, and, and to get excellence, and and I would put LeBron in this category. You put him in a championship structure. That man knows how to, how to play a mature brand of basketball that is very much empowering to himself and to others. Um, but that's the key. With sometimes with with uh, so many of us, it, 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 you need to do it on a daily basis. You know to be really good and not just ascend to that moment. You you know. To get to that moment, you got to do the right things on a daily basis.
1: It's funny you say that about basketball, but it, we just talked about like knowing the struggles and the ups and downs instead of just playing off the final career numbers or the final numbers yeah. you see. It's like life's just like that. You appreciate people more or you appreciate the story more. I mean, if you just watch a movie, you appreciate a movie more. If you watch the whole thing instead of just skipping to the end to see who who the the bad guy was or whatever like it's more fun to actually watch the whole thing and see the ups and downs of your hero the ups and downs of the the characters yeah. so it's the yeah. same thing in everything including basketball and I love to see how passionate you are about basketball you let me know if you're ever in Spokane I will make sure you get into a game men's <laughs> women's both we will get you into that game all right don't don't be shy just be like hey I'm in Spokane I want to watch some Gonzaga basketball we'll get you in there
0: well you, you know I've been to Spokane I'm, I'm just, and, and, and I have broadcasted I don't think I ever broadcasted the men. I broadcasted the women several times. Um, mm-hmm. I've done I've done conference finals, I've done NCAA first rounds. Uh, and I've also, uh, I used to broadcast a little NBA. So I I, I have, uh, uh, I don't think I've ever done college men there. I don't, don't believe I have, but uh, I, I have been to a couple of the sites in Spokane and uh, learned to pronounce Gonzaga correctly. <laughs> me too. Uh, my, my wife was on me and uh, make sure you say that, you know, I'm, I'm Midwestern, so sometimes we, we, we kind of bring our own. And I've never lost my dialect, but uh, I, I, I know very much about the Zags, very much.
1: I'm fr- originally from New York. I've never been out West until I started, I started here in about 2020. And, uh, so funny story, I actually got pulled over once, like my first, I think I was here for two days and I got pulled over. Um, I was going like five miles over the speed limit. I didn't know the speed limit. Like I said, I was just here. And I said, Spokane, it Spokane. (laughs) And I said, yeah, yeah. And and the officer was not happy. He didn't give me a ticket, luckily, but he's like, you better learn to pronounce it. (laughs) "My My bad. I've only been here two days. I don't know
0: you got it right now.
1: Yeah, Ho- no, I got Hopefully I do as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Spokane and Gonzaga. I got them both. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, right there with them. Um, I yeah. want to jump back into your career a little bit. So you finally, you had years. You went to the playoffs, you went to finals. And then in 2018, you finally get that WNBA championship. Did it make it, were you kind of like pressing a little bit towards uh, that point? Like you just, you, had, you were so close for so many years. I mean, that's almost, 99's when he starts, so it was 20 years before you finally get to that championship. Were you kind of pressing a little bit? Were you like, did you make it feel more complete as a career?
0: Yeah, I, I think that yes is the answer to that. I, I was never about championships as much as, uh, they're important to all of us, but the truth was I was more about relationships. It, it the, 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 the thing that that motivated me and, and certainly uh, empowered me was, was building relationships with people. But yes, that, that would have been sad to have closed a career and uh, not have have had that championship. And, and what really happens to you, if, if you're someone like me who had knocked on the door a long time, I've been in a lot of playoffs, I've been to the finals, I've been to the conference finals numerous times, all that kind of stuff. But... We're up 2-0 in a series with Washington and in, 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 in a best of five. And I remember how nervous I was before that third game. Uh, I, I had to have faith that, yes, we were good enough. And, yes, I was, was ready, you know, to have faith in my team in that moment. And – um that was a big step just to be honest with you because you when you knock on the door that many times you just you you got to be in the moment you can't be reflecting on geez uh you know I I, I don't want to screw this up you know as a coach you know I don't I got a good team but let's, let, let's don't mess them up uh but in my own way I, I had faith in my team that's what it came down to you know what I. Um, Washington's a good team but you know what, we're, we're, we're the best team here, we, we should win this game and uh, I think that was a, the last big hurdle um, and that was a private one and I think we all go through those moments at times you know, are we worthy <laughs> you know, to, to go back to a Wayne's World kind of moment but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all worthy you just got to have the faith and the persistence to put yourself in a situation where uh, you don't get in your own way. You know, it, you 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 let the best team win, which quite honestly was my team. But you also don't want to end up, you know, there's a lot of
1: coaches. coaches or players that get that stigma of like they were great, but never were able to get over the hump of winning the championship. You think people like Chris Paul that finally got to a championship, like great player, but just he's going to have that stigma if he doesn't win. Like he just didn't get to the championship. Um, but then let's go a little bit further. So in 2020, you had to sit out of the bubble um, for health reasons, correct? Right. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about like what happened there, and maybe how you stayed involved, even though you weren't able to go into the bubble?
0: Well, we. Didn't- you know, prepare for the season. I had had all my coaching meetings, you know, we had done the draft, we had put the team together, all, all those kind of things. And then uh, that, that's when COVID came and um, the season was delayed and they decide they're going to do it in a bubble. And um, the, the reality is that every single player and coach had to um, – be approved, you know, through a a WNBA physician to be part of the bubble. Well, I I had some, the year before I had battled cancer and had uh, missed the first nine games of the season for cancer surgery and then came back and coached. And it was a great year, to be honest with you. It was just probably my favorite year. uh, If you're just talking about, uh, non-championship year is probably my favorite year but but anyway uh the WNBA physician pushed back on whether it was safe for me to be there and uh that was a you know because i had made it my wife and i had made a decision okay we think we're, we're, we we want to do it you know she was going to go with me we were going to protect ourselves but because I, I i knew i was a little bit uh high risk because of the, the cancer and the surgery and, the, and and everything. but we decided to go, but then the medical people denied me the ability to to travel to the bubble and then it came down to okay what what's the best decision here? Well, the best decision, probably for everybody, was for me to be a virtual coach and for me to, Empower, my assistant Gary Kloppenberg took over for me and he and I had constant communication. Uh, my staff, I continued to, to have constant communication and the players, I had a running dialogue in different ways uh, with the players uh, and just tried to be a help you know, in that situation. And I, I wish I physically could have been there because I, I again I thought we had the best team, you know especially in in situations we were pretty whole uh, our, our whole team pretty much ended up there and that wasn't true of every team but um, I look back and I miss that but but I also it's an amazing kind of story to be a part of something a thousand miles away um, and to understand how to empower others but not get in their way because you're physically not there so there were lots of great stories to it and and the team really really responded well we we, um, came out of the number two seed to win the championship and uh so it's a great part of of my my saga i I, i'm not i you know I wish I physically could have been there, but in in my own sort of way, I was really proud of Gary. I was proud of Noe. I was proud of the the coaches, the players in a kind of way that, uh, has been a kind of a story in my life. And that's just kind of empowering others.
1: So you, um, you, during the games, were you able to have any type of actual involvement during the actual game itself, or did you have to just sit back and, and hope that the game plan worked?
0: Now, what evolved, what evolved to be, was that I would watch the first half, and then I would text at halftime. And when they went into t- to halftime, they had my thoughts. Okay, and then mm-hmm. I always prepared the next game, like when the coaches would wake up in the morning. Um, I would have a list of things. Um that that I had prepared for the next team and I had the ability you know it's a very unique situation you got a head coach who a lot of times as head coach you you watch your own team and you watch the opponents to a degree but I watched every single game in the bubble I'm I'm every single game not only ours but because of the unique situations I watched every game I watched um uh, for example, uh, Las Vegas play all 20 games and then to play. I, I watched every game, you know, so it was a unique situation. And, and I kind of functioned like an advanced scout. I, I, I would send Coach Klopp, all these things, you know, after the game, he and I would periodically talk and um, he, he, he would have that sitting as he woke up in the morning in the bubble the next opponent so he was preparing, and 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 you know he could he could take those thoughts in into play and practice or in into the game but at halftime i would watch the first half and i usually had 10 to 15 things that that i would uh, you know send to them you know as they walk into halftime and and then i after the game i would congratulate them or, or talk to them and i did the same things with players i period I, I didn't text players every player, every game, but periodically I, I, I would react. Because when you know your team really well, you know when they need a little encouragement. You kind of yeah. know when they need a little focus. And coming from me uh, by means of a text or a video or a conference call or a phone call, it, it, it was unique hey it was uh, and i see i've seen nfl guys now in the short term and nba guys we've all had to kind of make use maybe not as extended as i had but we've all had to make use of that at the pro level because of the protocols that we now deal with
1: and all this being together the protocols and the the bubble and how that went did that kind of lead into when you retired into the 2021 season you you retired uh in in season um did all this kind of add up to you or was it just time to go
0: well when when seattle asked when you come back for another year uh to be honest with you it was to help prepare Noel quinn a, mm-hmm. a young assistant uh, her her opportunity to take over and um when we started the season last year, uh, we were five and one, we had won four straight games, mm-hmm. but it, the team was now put together. You know, we, we a lot of times in the WNBA, you're, you're waiting for people to get back for various reasons. And uh, to me, it was just, it was handing it off. You know, one of the things that I have wanted to have happen in my career, and it's happened to me quite a bit, is you know I, I wanted former players of the WNBA to be a larger part of our coaching ranks, um, and that's always been really, really important to me. That that uh, I be a proponent for former players now in those positions, and so that it was just time. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you have conversations with your ownership, and it's it, it was just time. It was just time for and we were in pretty good shape at that moment you know as far as the team was together and it was healthy we were five and one and off to a good start um and it 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 was just time but that's the thing that uh and I came back knowing that at some point I would hand it over to you know to a younger coach um I just didn't know when that that became the time
1: Do you wish that you had like, you know, a lot of people when they announce their retirement, they get like the full send off? Do you wish you had all that? Or were you happy with how you decided to do it?
0: No, because if you study my career, I retired once before. Um, I retired out of San Antonio and I had a lot of those moments. I had uh, people do some wonderful things to show their gratitude. Uh, And then a year later, I come back to coach Seattle. So I didn't necessarily want that same thing again. <laughs> uh, I don't think that was fair to the people that did it. I, I came back to coach at Seattle and it, and, it, and it was truly one of the best decisions I ever made because it, it gave me a chance to be around great teams and great, you know, uh, players. And it, it put me in a position to coach with USA basketball in the Olympics and all those kinds of things that were just amazing. So no, I, I, I think in, in an odd sort of way, um, how you stop coaching is very, very hard for us that love it because mm-hmm. there's days I miss it tremendously, but it, it, we all are kind of different in how we choose to step away from the game. and. Uh, the thing that that helps me a great deal is that so much of the WNBA is now being coached by people that have been part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, six of my assistants are head coaches, and Becky Ammon is taking over, and she played for me for eight years. So you got seven out of twelve teams that uh, you feel like you're 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 involved in rooting for them uh, in a way that's that's incredibly inspiring you know to to me that I feel like these people that crossed my life are now really in the prime of their careers and I can watch and enjoy them
1: and you took a little bit of my research because I was going to say you know you retired once and came back do you ever do you think you see yourself coming back or do you think this is this is it for you
0: Yeah, no, I don't see myself coming back as a head WNBA coach. I see myself trying to figure out how I can continue to uh, be a part of basketball in a uh, teaching way or in a short-term coaching way. Um, I don't see me ever being a head WNBA coach again. Uh, But I, I can't live without trying to uh, make a difference. in people's lives I, I can't live i i, I don't think there will be a day that i'm living that that i'm not trying to make a difference in, in empowering other people and um so how that gets expressed we'll we'll find out you know right now i do a bunch of broadcasting i have a lot of phone conversations with with coaches um all over the place i i, I talk with people from the nba to the WNBA to College and I love them. I love them. Uh, th- those things are very uh, in- enjoyable, so you feel in- in- entrenched like that. But what the future holds, I- I'm not quite sure. You know, I'll-, I'll trust God to to make that a little bit apparent to me. But I, I have no real desire to to uh, become a head WNBA coach. I-, I I would only entertain some different things.
1: Well, I hope part of that future is uh, getting a book together because I can tell you, you'll sell, you'll sell one copy right here. I'd love to read it about the, your career and stuff like that. There's been, been such not only an enlightening conversation, but it's just learning about how you got to where you are. It's just, you know, it's something that keeps me driving to trying to get to where I'm going.
0: Well, thank you. And, and, and that is something that has, because so many people like yourself have said that to me that i okay i step back a little bit i I don't really want a book about dan hughes but i would love to have a book about empowering others and right now if i had a working title it would be that um and some of the maybe use my life as examples of uh of that but um that has been the part to me people you know you get to the end of your career what, what legacy do you want to have well I had championships, I had gold medals, but the real legacy that I want is how the people that were part of my life, players, coaches, coaches especially, how they went on to some greatness. That that empowering part, that's the legacy I hope is attached to my career because that truly, the, the relationship part and watching, take James Wade last year who won the championship and being to be there to share with him that and uh, watching Becky Hammond take over now as a player in that regard and uh, having so many assistants now in head positions. Uh, that is the legacy, I hope, because that that's one that where you, you kind of pay it forward. You pay it to people who have, intersected your life and made you successful in those moments. And now hopefully they can take their moments and even go to greater heights.
1: you said some really inspiring words and everybody that's listening, take the advice, run with it because it's, it's the best advice you can get. And it's the toughest to actually follow the keep going, the follow, follow what you're doing. You know, it's very tough to do it, but, um, it's the best advice you can give. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on and spreading the words of wisdom. And uh, like I said, it doesn't have to be the biography book, but you can say like, you know, say the, the piece and then like an example I've had is this. Like, it's like the, the the statement, then the proof. Statement, then the proof. And you'll sell, I guarantee you'll sell at least one copy because it'll be coming here to Spokane.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do a book signing if I get this thing done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, thank you again for joining us we really appreciate it
0: uh, you're welcome it's been a pleasure absolute uh, pleasure
1: thank you all for tuning in and watching and listening and i know like i said it's been a while but we're back we are back i'm so excited to be back behind the mic talking to people this is great so thank you for all joining in um if you want to find more offstage, maybe the documentary series we we're talking about, we are on YouTube offstage. stage. Um, we are also on Instagram, off.stage.media. It's not radio anymore. it's media now because we're doing a lot more of other things. You can listen to all of these off stages. all the way back to episode one with Kid Quill and Ivy Murray um, on, on uh, YouTube, you can watch them. You can listen to them on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Google Play, CastBox, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to all of these. You can also um, go to the YouTube page and see other things. We have live performances. We have uh, the, the documentary series. We have the documentary commentaries. Episode one is out now. Episode two should be out shortly with Casey Grennan. Um, so there's lots of stuff offstage-wise you can actually look into. And outside of offstage, I mean, we're a big fan of the Cup of Joe's podcast. You can go listen to those. Uh, we're a big fan of Sketching Up podcast. Go listen to that. So we, and, and, you know, we're just big fans of a lot of stuff. So go, there's so much media you can consume now. Why not make offstage part of it? So you can find us there off.stage.media on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Although Twitter doesn't have the dots. So it's just offstage media on Twitter and you can find everything you're looking for there. Thank you so much for coming back. Let's keep the offstage going. See you next time when we have our next guest. Thank you again.